0: Um, I can attest to Charlie not being a morning person. He gets into the office in the morning and he goes, uh "Mornings," as he's walking in. And I've been there for two hours already because <laughs> I get there early because I am a morning person. Um, and this morning I did wake up, and, and that verse was really great, Charlie, because I, I wake up. Most days when I preach, I wake up and I'm like, everything I prepared is garbage. (laughs) It's just the attack that I get from the enemy every time that I have worked really hard all week. I have prayed and I have sought God and I have studied. But yeah, you guys don't need to hear what I have to say. And so I usually, my alarm goes off pretty early on Sunday mornings and I lay in bed and I'm like, okay, God, like I've done what I can do. and, And now you have to do what only you can do. And that is to meet us here this morning. And so that is my prayer. That is Charlie's prayer. Hopefully that's your prayer today. Uh, So we're going to be in uh, Hebrews today. So if you have uh, a Bible, there's Bibles in some of the pews in front of you. If you have a Bible app, then um, turn to that. Uh, We're going to look at... A letter that was written we don't know who the author was so when you keep hearing me say the author of Hebrews I'm not saying a name because not because I didn't study but because we don't actually know who it was um, but it's an author uh, it's a letter written to a church that was mostly made up of Jewish people who had converted to Christianity and I think that we are going to be able to find a lot of things in common with them because these were Christians that were facing hard times uh, some of them were facing severe persecution Some of them had family members and loved ones that were suffering. They had friends who were walking away from the faith. They were facing temptations and they had, they were finding out stuff that the Bible teaches that they were like, what, like the Bible teaches that? That's, no one's teaching that. But the Bible says that and so they were struggling in their faith and they thought it was gonna be easier to follow God than it actually was. And maybe we can relate. You know, life is definitely hard. We see people walking away from their faith pretty regularly these days. Pretty high-profile people. Maybe some of us have even thought about that. Um, It's getting harder and harder to trust God because it doesn't seem like he's coming through for us in the ways that we want to see him come through for us. And So where we thought it would be getting easier, it's actually getting harder. And so the the writer of Hebrews has a message to Christians who are experiencing things like that. So the ancient Christians that he was, or he or she, because I've heard that it might be a woman that wrote this one, but the, that the author. Um, had written to the the original audience, but also to us. There's something for us in this. And so we're going to zero in only on part of one chapter. And I know that we're actually doing a sermon series on Genesis, and I promise you I'm not going rogue. We are going to be looking at the life of Abraham because that's who we've been looking at in our Genesis series. And there's a chapter in the book of Hebrews that talks a lot about what it looks like to live by faith, in hard times, and Abraham is one of the, the examples that the author uses to explain to us what that looks like. And so, um, we're gonna look at what living a life of faith and following hard after God, even when things are really, really difficult, what that looks like. And there are other people who are mentioned in this chapter, so I would encourage you to go home and read the whole thing after church. But the Bible tells us in Genesis 15 and in Romans 4 and in other places in the Bible that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in Isaiah 41, God calls Abraham his friend. And he's also known as the father of the faithful. And those are things that I would like to mark my life. So, what kind of life did Abraham live and what kind of faith are we called to? So, we're going to start by reading verses one and two because the author lets us know what definition of faith he's working with as as he writes these words. So, verse one now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The faith is the confidence. And other translations use the words reality or assurance or substance or certainty of what we hope for. So we're talking about being fully persuaded and expecting that God will accomplish everything that he has promised to us in Christ. And it means that when we see God's goodness and sweetness in his promises, that our faith makes it feel like it has already happened It means that the promise of God's presence with us and the joy that that brings persuades us strongly and that we feel like we already have those things in our possession, even if we don't have them physically. We're going to see how Abraham lived out this confidence and hopefully we can get there ourselves as well. And so faith is having confidence in what we hope for and it's the assurance, or other words for that, evidence-proof conviction of what we do not see. Faith is in part seeing with spiritual eyes, perceiving the fingerprints of God in our situation, in the world around us, in his order and his beauty and his greatness. In Romans 1.20, we read, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. We see the evidence of God in the beautiful creation that He's placed all around us, in nature, in the mountains, in the 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 rivers and the ocean and the stars, in the miracles that he puts in our lives, like like birth, um, like the the things that we see in each other because we are all created in God's image and we reflect that to each other. We can't see God with physical eyes, but we can see evidence of him all around us. It's a spiritual perception of God's reality. And so faith is the assurance of what we do not see. And living a life of faith means that we live a life marked by responding to God in belief. Acting on the things that we believe even though we don't fully see with physical eyes. Even though it feels like things are blurry, they're squinty, and it's it's an active thing that we have to do. It's not just a feeling that we have. So let's look at Abraham's life and see how the author draws these themes out. And there are several examples that we're going to look at today. And the first example we read about in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So let's look at that story in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, who was Abraham's name, was Abram back at that point, "Um, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So God comes to Abraham and he tells him to leave his country and his people and his family and to follow God to a land that he wasn't specifying. He was just saying, I'm going to show you. And, and I often wonder about this story because Abraham likely grew up worshipping a different God. A lot of commentators think it was uh, the moon god Nana. Nana. And so it would have been a very purposeful and courageous step for Abraham to, f- to hear from a God that he didn't actually follow for his, for his life and then respond in obedience to him. And not only that, but God asked Abraham to leave everything he knew. And I wonder how like, God revealed himself to Abraham to get him to a place where he was willing to just step out, to just leave that all behind and just step into what God had for him, even though he wasn't fully sure about what that was. You know, I think it makes me think about when God called me to go to Japan, and, and I didn't wanna go. Um, I didn't have any reason to, to, to go to Japan. And like Abraham, I had to leave everything I knew behind, except I had one friend who had gone before me. And he was the one that was, the guy was using to call me there. And so at least I knew someone. But I can't identify much beyond that with Abraham's story, because I at least knew my destination in that situation. I knew where my plane was going to land. <laughs> it's not like Abraham had that luxury. And so following God and knowing the destination, that was hard enough for me. To do even when I knew where I was going I remember sitting on the plane and being like okay God what's happening like this isn't where I thought I was gonna be and so um, Abraham had to follow God even though he didn't know the destination even though he he didn't know where he was going but he trusted God and he courageously entered into a strange land and an uncertain future do you ever feel like that's that's your life Like, I felt it on my plane ride to Japan for sure. I've felt it many times since then. There are a lot of things that are unknown in the world right now. And I know that there are countless stories of people sitting in this room and listening from home who are struggling with the unknown in their lives. Abraham's response to God's invitation was not to ask for more information. Like, he wasn't like, okay, God, just give me the coordinates so I can drop it in my GPS so I can find the route with the least amount of traffic to get there, you know, by a certain, a certain time. Or um, what kind of on re- online reviews does this place have? Because I would like to know before I commit to going. Like, that's what we would do, right? Um, but he heard the call, and he trusted in the word of God, and he started out to a new land that God would show him. And he was able to believe God and step into, step out of everything that he ever knew to follow God to an unknown place because he put his faith in God's promises for a future. And he was assured because that promise had been guaranteed by God himself. So God asked him to go and that was grounds enough for him to obey. And that's how much he trusted God and he trusted in his word and in his promise. And he was willing to obey even though he didn't have all the information. So what is God asking you to step out of or to step into today? What's he asking you to lay down and walk away from? What is the active faith response that you need to take? What are you feeling God inviting you into but you're scared to take a step? This isn't something we're good at. We like to know. We like, we like to know. And we don't like the unknown. Sometimes I get anxiety just when I go to a grocery store and they've rearranged their shelving things and the route that I take that's designed for maximum efficiency can no longer happen because I don't know where stuff is. And I get anxiety because it's the unknown. Like what? We like to have assurances, don't we? We want to know the things that things are going to work out before we take a step. And we need to rationally look at all the angles before we make the decision and make sure that that makes sense. And we want to make sh- the Pinterest board of like the things to do and see on the way to wherever we're going. Do you think it made sense to Abraham to leave everything behind and just follow God? I doubt it but he did it anyway. And I I remember several times in my life where I made decisions about what school I was going to go to and where I was going to live and what I was going to do for work where my non-Christian, non-believing family members and friends were like, what? What are you doing? Why are you going to this school that costs so much more money when you could, you know, live at home and go to McGill? Why are you going to live in Japan? Why are you going to live in Vancouver? Why? And I can imagine that the conversations that Abraham's family had with him were just as intense, if not more. Begging him not to leave, asking him to explain why he thought it made sense. And and we might read the story and be like, well, it's not that big of a deal to leave home once we reach a certain age, you know? In fact, in our culture, it's encouraged you go away to university and then you settle somewhere and it doesn't have to be close to where you grew up and it's no big deal and, and I did that for years. Um, but it wasn't a natural thing in, in Abraham's time. Typically, you stuck close to home, you helped with the family business, whatever that was, and when your parents passed away, you took it on. And yet Abraham heard God and he chose to do something completely different and he chose to follow God into an unseen place. He didn't have the luxury of Pinterest or Google. He didn't have friends who had been there. The only person who was telling him about it was God, but Abraham had had an encounter with God. God spoke to him and Abraham was convinced and he based his certainty on God's word and he went obediently. Faith is an active response to the word of God. It comes from a personal encounter with the living God and it looks to a future and it makes us act with obedience and confidence in the living God confident of what we hope for assured of what we do not see that's how we can venture out like abraham after god going where he leads into a future that is relatively unknown because we've encountered a living god and we have his word and his promises that we can hang on to in the unknown if we like abraham have oriented our lives around god and around his word around the 3,000 plus promises that he has put in the Bible for us, then we can be confident that he will lead us. And we can actively follow him, being certain of what we do not see. I'm not saying that this kind of faith is easy for anyone. There were so many times in Abraham's life, even when he faced challenges, like... In fact, Abraham sets out and the next story in Genesis, there's a famine in the land. And it's like, God, did you not see that coming? Like could you not have like adjusted the departure time so that we could have avoided that? Abraham has to take a detour to Egypt. But he doesn't turn back and head for home like, "Well, that was a bust." He he goes to Egypt and he lives in faith and he moves forward. He does fail to have faith as much faith as he needed in that time because we know in that story that he ends up lying to the Egyptians out of fear about um, who he and his wife were. But he's still moving forward. His faith is still decisive and steadfast and enduring and he's following God because God asked him to. And so Abraham's act of faith was to follow God to leave behind his family, to leave the faith he was raised in, and to follow a God into a different life and a different faith and a different future. But thats it's not like he left home, which was point A, and he arrived at the the land God would show him at point B. It wasn't that easy. Let's look at verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, Abraham became a nomadic warrior, a nomadic wanderer, sojourning like I said in Egypt and other places in Canaan, and he was seen as a stranger and a foreigner in the land that God had promised him. That's how he describes himself in Genesis 23:4, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. So let's put ourselves in his shoes again. He's given up an entire life back home. He's followed God out into the unknown. And he's had some detours along the way. And, and I wonder if Abraham ever thought to himself, I am so sick of this tent. I'm so sick of waking up 10 feet away from those stinky goats. Or like having the rooster wake me up before it's time. You know, like at the, at the break of dawn. Like I want to be in the city. I want to be in a real house. I want to sleep in a real bed. I wonder if we ever think those kinds of things to ourselves as well. Like, I'm tired of waiting for this. I'm tired of not knowing what's going to happen. The Christians that this letter was writing to were feeling that. Is this something that you're feeling? Like, maybe you've hit a speed bump in your life, Maybe you thought that you were going to end up in one place, but you've ended up in a completely different place, that, you know, your marriage is struggling, or you can't find the job that you thought you were qualified for, or your kids are struggling, or life just hasn't turned out how you thought it would, how you had hoped it would. And if I'm following God, isn't it supposed to be different? Isn't it supposed to get easier? Isn't he supposed to, like, make my path straight? Well let's learn from Abraham's example again because he was living in tents but it does tell us how he was living and that was by faith. He but his faith gave him the confidence to be where God had him while he hoped for what God had promised to him. And so back to our back to our passage and picking up in the in verse 9 again, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise that was his son and his grandson so not only did he not get to live in, as a permanent resident in the land that God had promised to him but neither did his son and neither did his grandson and in fact if you read at the end of Genesis you see that his great-grandson Joseph dies and their whole family is in Egypt they're nowhere near the promised land that's four generations and that's a long time to wait for anything can I get an amen Yes, Um, but our passage tells us that he lived by faith and he still believed, even though it was several generations after it before he actually saw that promise fulfilled. And this has me asking myself, is my faith really that strong? Like, how solid and unwavering am I in believing God's promises? How quickly do I give in to the temptation to uh, look for other things to satisfy my longings? How, how quickly do I forget that God has promised to satisfy me in every way that I need? A few months ago, I stood up here and I talked about sometimes struggling with being single. And I know that that's a struggle, struggle for other people. And I know that there are so many other struggles that are happening in our lives right now. And Abraham and his life tells us that God is worth pursuing even in the struggle Even if I never get married, even if I never get the things, the other things that I hope for, because what I will get and what you will get is more of him. We will get his love and his delight and his approval. We will get to enjoy him and live forever in a body that is perfect, that is free from disease and free from pain. We will get to experience the world as God intended before sin distorted it. And Pastor Charlie and I have both talked about this from the stage before. Um, we're, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to fly and walk through walls. So that's, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and before that happens, we get his presence, and we get his love, and we get hope, and we get supernatural peace that passes understanding, and we get wisdom, and so many other things. And we get all of these things because of Jesus. If we, like Abraham, have encountered Jesus and we put our faith in him, we get all of it. And we get so much more because the Bible says that we get more than we could ask or imagine. That's the God who we serve. Abraham got a tent. Sometimes, something that I came across when I was studying this passage was the idea that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob chose to live in tents which suggested that they refused to settle down in a culture that was devoid of God's presence. And that really struck me. Because the presence of God was more important to them than comfort, than position, than personal peace, and so they chose to live in tents for decades and Abraham lived in such a way that he pursued God above all. He believed what God said. He believed that God would come through for him. And he was willing to set everything aside in pursuit of that. And when I'm lonely, I turn to TikTok. And I tend to turn to stuff that is so much less life-giving and, and fulfilling, so much less fulfilling than God who's always with me who will never leave me, who can fill me beyond measure, who can give me the desires of my heart. Abraham oriented his life toward God, looking to the promised future and allowing that to eclipse everything else because he hoped for something more. In fact, our passage tells us that Abraham knew he wasn't going to find the answer to God's promises in a physical place. If we keep reading in verse 10, it says, "'For he was looking for the city with foundations "'whose architect and builder is God.'" He knew that God had promised, what God had promised him was not on this earth. That it doesn't mean that Abraham just sat in his tent and he's like, well, I hope heaven shows up soon. But it actually means that he was looking to the future, to the redemption that he was promised, to the redemption that he would get, and he oriented his life towards that, to following the God who was gonna give that to him. And that is what his faith was hoping for and certain of. He had eyes to see that he was destined for another land, for a city that God had prepared for him. And it makes me wonder, what am I looking to this world to to give me when God wants to give me so much more? Is is my life oriented around following the living God who has far more in store for me than I ever dare to even believe? Or am I settling for something much less? We can't be satisfied on this earth because like Abraham This world is not our home. We are also sojourners and foreigners and wanderers in this land. And Jackie Hill Perry says, following Jesus is hard, and the world sometimes offers premature rest from that hardness. But we cannot be satisfied on this earth. And so we are also destined for the city that God has prepared for us, like Abraham, and that's why we can't be satisfied. And so right now, for a while, it feels like we're living in tents. Hoping for and believing in our real home, which God has prepared for us. So Abraham not only followed God out of Ur and into the unknown future, but he also never actually saw the promised land pass into his family. And there's a lot more to Abraham's faithfulness in this passage. In Genesis 15, the story um, goes that God made another promise to Abraham, because Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were far past the childbearing years, and they desperately wanted to have a son, but as it stood, they didn't have a son, they couldn't have kids anymore, they're past that age, and Abraham was set to have his servant, Eleazar, inherit um, his, his wealth and his, his uh, possessions. But God comes to him and he makes a covenant with him. In Genesis 15, starting in verse 4, we read, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be this was Abraham's desire and, and this was a legacy that he wanted that was so important to him and, and God is telling him that he's going to have one and it's going to be so much bigger than he actually imagined and, and guess what happened in this story? We, we should know this because Charlie preached on it last week. When Isaac, when Isaac was born, Abraham rejoiced and he experienced a fulfillment of a, pro, a promise from God but then when Isaac was a bit older, what happened? God Asked him to sacrifice that son, the source through which all of these descendants that were as going to be as numerous as the stars were supposed to come from. And I'm sure that Abraham was like, What? Like, I just, like, what is happening? I just got this. I just got this promise. When Abraham was, was leaving Ur and his family behind, he was leaving his past. But when God asked him to give up his son in such a final way, he was asking him to give up his future as well. The future legacy that he'd been promised that was supposed to happen through Isaac. And Isaac needed to be alive in order for it to actually happen. And so Abraham spent his whole life following God faithfully, believing him. But this was the fiercest challenge that he had faced in his faith. And let's look at how he responded in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Like, how did he manage that? Like, I'm not sure I could have gotten there. But look at verse 17 to see how he responded. By faith, Abraham, when he tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Here's how he was able to do it. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the from death. He who had embraced the promises. Abraham had lived his life so in tune with God's character and so in tune with his promises that he was willing to obey God even if he didn't understand it. Even though if it meant that he had to give up something that he thought God had given him, that he knew God had given him. He lived a life of unwavering allegiance to God that extended beyond anything that held dear. He was rewarded for it. As we saw in verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. He's like, I don't know what's happening here, God, but I think that you, I know that you can do this, and so I'm going to go ahead and, and act in obedience. And in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. He, Isaac did not actually get sacrificed. We, we know that story, but, um, but he did receive Isaac back from the dead in, in one way. And you see, God had made a covenant with Abraham um, in, in Genesis 15, promising him a legacy that was so great it couldn't be counted. And in the Old Testament, covenants that were made between two parties who were committing to each other to uphold an agreement that they had made. And there was usually blood from animals involved, and they would spread that on the ground, and then they would walk through the blood, and the blood would splash up on their robes, and they would say, if I don't uphold my side of this covenant, of this promise then I will pay with my own blood. And if you look at the story in Genesis 15, you see that God caused Abraham to fall into a sleep, and God was the only one that walked through the blood of those animals. He was taking responsibility for the covenant on himself, for both sides of the covenant. That's the God who Abraham followed. This is why Abraham could believe God even when it didn't make sense. And this is why he could live a life of faith because God had taken the responsibility of keeping that covenant on himself alone. And this is how we can live a life of faith because that covenant is a picture of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He shed his blood, not because he, God hadn't kept up his side of the covenant, but because we hadn't kept up ours But Jesus took the penalty of death that we deserved and and God took the responsibility of both sides of the covenant with Abraham. And that's how Abraham had confidence to follow and trust in God even when his faith was stretched to the limit. And God took the responsibility for both sides of the covenant that he made with us. And that is why we can have the confidence to believe in God when our faith is stretched to the limit. That confidence does not come from within us. We can't just be like, waking up this morning, I'm gonna trust more. That doesn't work. That doesn't happen. It comes from God and what he has done for us and focusing and orienting our life on that. And so what do we do when we don't see God working in our lives? When we're, we're looking really hard, but we're just like, what? Like nothing's happening. We keep believing and we keep telling ourselves what God has done. And we embrace the promises just like Abraham did, knowing that we might not see them come to, ha- to pass, but that doesn't mean God's not gonna fulfill them. There's a, a prayer that I pray um, that was written, a, a line from a prayer that I pray that was written by uh, a pastor named J.D. Greer. And it says, as I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. God loved us enough that he actually went through with sacrificing his only son on our behalf. He went through with that, and he's powerful enough that he raised Jesus back from the dead on the third day, defeating death and accepting the sacrifice for our sins that Jesus had made. That is the God that we serve. He's more compassionate than we ever could deserve, and he's more powerful than we could ever imagine. He's more powerful than death, which is the thing that defeats us all. That's who God, that's who God is. That's who calls us. That's who will never leave us when we're following him. Even when we doubt, faith like Abraham's takes practice. If you look at Abraham's life, he faltered at times, he doubted at times. But he was always moving in a particular direction and that was towards God. And faith like Abraham's takes endurance and that's hard for us because we live in a world of instant gratification and we don't want to have to uh, do the hard work. We want our problems to disappear. We don't want to have to try to work every day to build our faith. We want it to come easy but it doesn't work that way. And that's why being in God's word is so important in our lives. And that's why coming to church and being in community with other Christians is so important in our lives. And that's why the, the spiritual dis- disciplines that help us zone out, of the no- zone out the noise of our world and zero in on God's still small voice is so important. We're not promised a life with no problems. We're promised peace in the anxiety. We're promised presence in the loneliness. We're promised joy in the pain and comfort in the sorrow and renewal instead of escape. Tyler Staten says, God has promised to love us with a love that the world will try to take or mar or diminish but never can. We are loved in such a way that it produces supernatural courage in a culture paralyzed by fear, humility in a society built on self-promotion, single-mindedness in a distracted or divided world, peace amongst chronic anxiety and worry and the constant nearness of God. And for those of you who like to know the end of the story... If you turn to the end of the Bible, the, the book that we are looking at, and you read the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, in Revelations 22:4, we read, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And someone explained it and said it like this, and they shall live with his face in view, and they that belong to him will be written on. And that they belong to him will be written on their faces. They will live with his face in view. And that they belong to him will be written on their faces. We get Jesus in the end. And he is where all God's promises find their yes and amen. Let's pray. Father, we're not good at this. But I pray that where we are weak, you would make us strong. I pray that you would increase our belief where we are unbelieving. I pray that you would give us faith like Abraham, that you would open our eyes to see the evidence of you all around us and to see the ways that you're working, even though it feels like sometimes you're not. Father, I pray that you would meet us in your word, that you would meet us in our prayers, that you would meet us as we meet with other people, who also know you, Father, I pray that you would make this a reality in our lives that is so deep that we can overlook the things that we aren't getting in order to follow you because getting you is the most important thing. I pray that you would make us want you more than anything else in the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Cheryl. All right, so uh, once more, the the text number is up there. By the way, if you don't have this saved in your phone, maybe take a snapshot of it, so then if there's ever, like, in the middle of a sermon and you have questions that pop up, you can text it right away. Uh, What's going on here? Um, And right away, we have one coming in. I haven't even read it yet, so I hope it's good. I'm gonna, you're going to hear it <laughs> just as I write it, read it. Uh, Real time. Any, any questions in the room, raise your hand. we got someone running with, with a mic, too. Okay, here we go. Uh, thank you for the message, Cheryl. I think my relationship with God is most vibrant and exciting when I'm uh, taking faith risks and when I do what I'm sensing God is telling me to do. But I don't get the clear messages from God that it seems Abraham received. How do we balance listening to a a somewhat faint voice of God and acting in faith versus taking careless risks that are not from God and a result of our own inner thoughts and desires? So how do we, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I have have experienced that where I'm like, I think I heard from God and then I didn't. Um, I would say God's going to direct you as you move forward. Um, He will never ask you or promise you something that's not in his word. And I would recommend when you hear, you think you hear a promise from God to um, connect with um, people who you trust who also know Jesus and to make sure that what you're hearing is, is, is actually true. That's the process of discernment that when you get with people and you ask them to pray for you and ask them to listen to God on your behalf to either confirm or not confirm what, um, what it is that, that you're hearing from God.
1: Yeah, good answer. That's really it. If if you think you might be hearing God's voice, but it's not super clear, ask God to confirm it and talk to other people, and, and uh, he'll
0: he'll direct your steps. Yeah. I have I a have more story about my my going to Japan where I didn't think that it, there was five things that were going to prevent me from going, and God removed every single one, and it was very clear that like. This is where he wanted me, so I can tell you that story later. I won't go into it now, but um, that is God will direct you, or He will close doors and He will redirect you.
1: All right, I'm curious about those five things. Maybe (laughs) next time you're scheduled, we're gonna (laughs) we'll hear about it. I mean,
0: if we we still have time and no questions, we can get it. We share
1: your hands up. Thank you, Cheryl, for your message. You said at the beginning, see God with spiritual eyes. Can you expand on that?
0: Yeah, so um, we, we have um, the ability to see God um, and the Holy Spirit kind of shows us things about God that, um, that we don't see with physical eyes. And so like, if you, if you are outside looking at the stars at night, and you, you, like you're looking at stars, but what you're seeing is God's glory and His wonder and His power. He said some words, and that came into to existence. And so, um, there's they seeing beyond what we're seeing, if that makes sense. Um, I hope I'm making <laughs> yeah um, that God God reveals things to us um, as we as we look around and and as we listen to Him. I have a friend who um, I went on a walk with once, and we walked past this girl. We didn't know her. She was just walking in the opposite direction of us, and he, we were walking that way, and she walked that way. And as, as, he pass, as we passed her, he, he looks at me, and he, he listens to God. He's someone who like, really is in tune with, with God's voice in his life. And he said, that girl just had a fight with her dad. You know, and like, then he started talking to her, and sure enough, she had had a fight with her dad, and he didn't know. He, he, he had no clue who this person was before he walked by her, but God had said, I want you to go talk to that girl, and, and he had given him the eyes to see what what was going on in her life, and, and the, the words to speak to her.
1: Wow. Uh... All right, questions are coming in now. If there's anyone else in the room, raise your hand. We'll get the mic over there. And in the meantime, I'll have one in the text line. Uh, If I have a personal relationship with God, is it okay for me not to attend the Sunday service? Ooh, here we are.
0: Ooh. (laughs) I would say that the Bible says... So I would I would echo the Bible where it says do not give up meeting together um, so that we can spur one another on to love and good works that's in Hebrews 10 um, and so it's it, it's really important it's not a sin I think if you're if you don't come to church but it, but your faith vibrancy and growth depends on being with other people who can walk alongside you in, in what you're experiencing in life, and um, being able to speak truth to you when you can't see it. Like sometimes, like when we're living in that tent, like Abraham, we can't see beyond the walls of the tent, but other people can be like, I've been where you are, and I know where God will, will bring you. And, and they can speak that into our lives, and we don't get that if we're not hanging out with other believers. And church is a really, really easy way to do that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Something I might add is, the question is, is it okay for me not to attend the Sunday service? I'd probably say, what do you mean by, is it okay? Like, is it, like, are you going to get cut off from Jesus and, you know, go to hell if you don't go to church on Sunday? No, you certainly shouldn't look at it that way. The gospel is, Jesus is a free gift for all who believe. So going to church isn't going to earn your way to heaven and not going to church isn't going to keep you out. Uh, But I would also say this, kind of what Cheryl said, it's, um, it's good for us. And so I would say this, if you know him, if you believe in him, and you don't want to go to church on Sunday... Let me first say, I know what it's like because I hate mornings. And True. this morning, Matt said we should start a night service and he might've been half serious, but it's been in my mind since. So more on that later. But, uh, but in the meantime, this is what I would say if you don't want to go to church at Sunday. I would say, confess that to God. Meaning, God, I don't really want to go a lot of the times, and maybe it's for this reason, maybe it's for that reason, but I believe that you know better than I know and that you have a better plan than I have. I guess what I'm encouraging you is to let God be God and don't try to be your own God. And coming together, gathering together, there is something spiritually nourishing So if you don't want to go, confess that to God and say, Lord, change my mind, heal my mind. And let me just say that, that thing where you go to God and you say, change my mind, heal my mind. That's in a huge way, a major essence of what it means to be a Christian. We don't hold on to our own plan and our own point of view and say, no, I'm not changing it. I don't want this. I do want this. And that's just how I'm going to live my life. But to be a Christian means, Lord, come here, change what you wanna change, take what you wanna take. Um, But in the meantime, if you skip church, I've skipped church before. Yeah, real Uh,
0: talk, I wake up sometimes and I'm like, I don't wanna go, and I work here, guys. (laughs) So confession time, but I I usually, most of the time, end up coming, and I am always blessed by being with other believers in community, and so, that's sometimes scary. There's Social anxiety is a real thing. And, um, but I would encourage you to put yourself out there and come to church because it, it is good.
1: Uh, before the next question comes, one more quick little note on that. I've discovered, so sometimes the reason why, confession time, sometimes the reason why I don't want to go to church on Sunday is because I want to rest, right? It's like, I feel like I need some rest. I've learned that when I go to church, worship God, come home, then, you know, how many hours of rest you have before you have to go to bed? Those hours of rest are, like, the most restful time of my week. Like, that, like, Sunday from, like, noon till the time I go to bed, there is this deep, deep heart rest that just resets everything and prepares me for Monday. But the times that I skip church, all the striving that I can do to actually find that rest is often lost. Um, that's just my own experience uh, there's um, there's a, a kind of rest that comes from God so okay, was it Carlos that I saw over here uh, or is there another oh yeah 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 so I think you're a descendant of that woman that wrote Hebrews uh,
0: <laughs> Thank you
1: Yeah, you know the term crisis
0: of faith and You know, often we hear someone going through a crisis of faith. And, you know, I mean, I myself have experienced that. Can you share something about it? Uh, Yeah, I was listening to a podcast recently where um, uh, the the speaker and the host were talking about people who were walking away from the faith. Who were like, I'm not sure I believe this anymore. And one of the things that they pointed out was that often the people that they talk to about this... um, have stopped reading their Bible and have stopped connecting with God and are just trying to figure it out on their own. And that's not how we were meant made to, to go through life. That's not what we were meant to experience. And and so I would say, like, are you reading your Bible? Are you are you seeking after God? Because he said, if you seek me with your whole, your whole heart, you will find me. And so if you're having a crisis of faith, and if it's really hard to read your Bible, like, I have siblings who are like, I read my Bible, i get nothing out of it. And I'm like, oh, like, ask God to show you something. Ask God. Ask someone to read it with you to help you talk through it. You know, like there are things that you can do to, to help you when you're struggling to believe. Because we do have struggles. We do struggle to believe. And, and like I said, um, and I'll say it again and again and again, like that's why we need each other. Because when we can't see the truth, when we can't see God in our lives, then other people can look at our lives from a different perspective and can point to where they see him in us and in our lives.